Welcome to the Trial Talks Podcast, a thought-provoking series surrounding clinical trial research. We'll be exploring current and future trends of the ever-changing clinical trial landscape as we discuss a variety of topics including virtual trials, patient centricity, novel and unique research, pandemic impact, and more. Join us and our expert guests on a journey through the evolution of clinical trials. Hello and welcome to Trial Talks. I'm your host, Mike Novotny, CEO and founder of Medrio. And I'm joined today, I'm very excited to be joined today by Donna Chang, CEO of Hope Biosciences. Hope Biosciences focuses on stem cell research to prevent disease and degeneration. And today we'll be discussing the progress that's been made over the past decade with regards to stem cell research and how stem cell therapies um, can help treat COVID-19. So very topical, very exciting time to be addressing a, a powerful need in the world. So welcome, Donna. It's great to have you today. Thank you for having me. So let's just start the high level. Tell us a little bit about uh, Hope Biosciences and, and what you're up to there. Sure. So I started Hope Bio about four years ago, and uh, we are a stem cell research company that's focused on developing and delivering adult stem cell therapeutics that are safe, effective, and most importantly, affordable. Uh, so since the time we started the company, we've taken uh, 14 uh, different trials into clinic and uh, super proud of sort of where where we started and where we are now and um, and our you know our newest developments in COVID-19. I think uh, we're really trying to do stuff that's trailblazing and trying to you know answer questions as quickly as possible because you know there are a lot of stakeholders out there right now looking for good information. So we're really trying to lead that effort. Fantastic. I love it. And I've been doing clinical research for 25 years and uh, but I but I'm a software guy. Medrio does Databases for clinical trials uh, and, and randomization and uh, consenting and all that kind of stuff from a software perspective. So it's been really fun for us to support the work that you're doing and see the cutting edge science that you've been doing. I think it would be great if you started with help people understand, you know, step back a little bit and what's been happening in stem cell research over the last, say, five or 10 years uh, it's been in the press a lot, uh, but, but give us a sense for, for what's been happening uh, in, the, in the last years, and then we can talk about uh, exactly how that's being, how you're applying that in the real world and, and with COVID-19. So um, when I look at sort of stem cells and the evolution of them over the course of this past decade, I can remember when in the conversation of stem cells, people being very scared, like, oh, the, the, that's, a, that's a scary topic. But now, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years now, it's like you'll find people everywhere, celebrities, all kinds of people talking about stem cells for this and that. But through this evolution, I think um, it's so funny because when it comes to actual research and research done on the academic level and research done, you know, in, in clinical trials, I just Googled today how many papers there are on mesenchymal stem cells. And these are the particular stem cells that we work with. And today, today, there are 1.1 million papers written on this. And 1.1 million papers. Million papers just on mesenchymal stem cells, particular stem cells. Now, if you were to imagine MSCs, we call them MSCs for short, if you were to call, if you were to think about MSCs as a potential drug target, I, I can tell I I'm pretty sure that there is no drug target out there with that much, that kind of a following, right? With that 
tremendous amount of research base behind it. But then if you translate it to where we are today with clinical trials, and I just just did, I just Googled this right before we got on this call, um, on clinicaltrials.gov, just in the United States alone, there are 562 active trials using stem cells. I, I think that's a, a pretty healthy amount, but given the amount of research that's been that's been happening for the past 20 years and where we are on a clinical and where we are today with like an approved product, because there are no approved stem cell products other than your typical like bone marrow transplants and things like this. There is not a single, FDA has not approved a cell therapy yet. And when you look at that, you think, what is going on here? Like, why are we not advancing as quickly as it appears we should be? And I think that the the question, those kinds of questions are what led me to uh, start this company because it was really a desire to figure out, well, what are the limiting steps? Well, why is it that we can get a mouse better in a week with a traumatic brain injury, but we can't get someone who had a motorcycle accident back to work? It just doesn't translate. Just because you have a promising therapeutic in a, in a preclinical lab setting doesn't mean that that'll translate into real world clinical um, therapies. So I wanted to understand what's the relationship? Why is the limitation exist? I mean, if we're truly dealing with regeneration and regenerative therapies, then isn't it like, isn't the sky the limit? Like, isn't that what everyone's so excited about when it comes to the potential? So after a lot of research, it basically came down to the limitations in cell therapy itself, like the manufacturing of cell therapy, consistency of the product, being able to repeat these therapies until you have a desired effect, those kinds of limitations is really what, why cell therapy is not where it should be. And there's a lot of technical reasons behind that, like donor-to-donor uh, -donor variability and lots of other things. But right now, I think it's an interesting landscape, right? Because everyone's excited. I think people are really wanting to get in control of their health and people are adventurous. They want to be associated with things that have to do with regenerative medicine. But I can tell you like nine, nine times out of 10, like the things that are out there are not really regenerative medicine. It's just not applicable yet. And so we are working on a, a broad solution that can deliver consistent cell therapy. And by doing so now using it for the different applications, that's all, you know, we, we have to go to clinical trials and, and show the usage. But now really the, the floodgates are open. Now we can really effectively study the, um, the use of these cells for, for diseases, different diseases. So yeah, it, it, that's a really long answer to your question, but I think in the last 10 years and last 15 years at least, just, just being um, involved in all of this, I think that the advances are tremendous, but um, the limitations have caused us to, you know, sort of not uh, advance in a real meaningful way. But I think now that's changing. Uh, I think we are solving a lot of the problems that have been there in cell therapy. So super excited about the future. Donna, that's amazing. It's really, really great stuff. And for me personally, it, it really hits for a couple of reasons. One is that my belief is that we are in the golden age of life sciences. We're in the golden age of curing diseases, whether that's oncology or the, you know even CNS, which has been a big challenge. But in every area of life sciences, we are curing diseases at an unprecedented pace. 
And, and what you're talking about, like TBI, traumatic brain injury, I actually have a family member who experienced that. And so I've seen personally how, how difficult that is. But the great news, ironically, I think, and this is what you're describing, is we have all this pent-up potential. So it, it, the fact that it hasn't been rolled out in, in actual therapies uh, to the extent that we would like, I actually think it's a great thing because it means we have all this backlog. You said 1.1 million papers on this. So there's all this scientific knowledge that we've still got some limits. It sounds like from what you said, technical limitations to get through. But once we figure those out, then we're going to have this flood of, of new treatments, which is really exciting. And I hope bioscience is at the forefront of that. So I, I find really inspiring what you're saying. Oh, yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, I, and that's what this is all about. It's, it's like, fixing the problems that currently exist and let's just get on with it. Like the show has got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo I love the attitude. Well, then let's get some of the hot topic, obviously for the whole world for 2020 and, and, and probably beyond as COVID-19. So, so that's, that sounds great at a high level, but tell us what you've done related to COVID-19 and how it applies to solving this problem, which is maybe the first time in the history of humanity, we are all united behind this single cause. We've got to handle COVID-19 and you're on, on the ground uh, making this happen. So tell us about that. Yeah, COVID-19 is a monster of an indication because of the tremendous amount we don't know about the condition, right? We have a, a big clinical program here and we we're doing a lot of work. And when COVID hit, we were told, you know, a lot of these things have to stop enrollment because the sites wouldn't enroll anymore. And we thought, okay, well, uh, what is this condition that's coming our way? What is this pandemic really about? And when we looked at the disease itself, very early on, reports were showing that, you know, it started off with some inflammation, systemic inflammation in the body. And then over time, it would really get the body's own defense mechanism would try and kick in and then it would cause exacerbate all this inflammation and suddenly you would have this you know crazy levels go up and then um and that's why people were like suddenly dying so when we when we looked at that sort of inflammatory pathway we thought to ourselves well we did a clinical trial in rheumatoid arthritis and it was the very first indication and one that we were very proud to have partnered with medrio on if I could just put in a plug for Medrio, I just have to say that. Oh, that's sweet of given, you, Don. <laughs> given our first, <laughs> given our first ever uh, clinical trial that we executed, people not knowing anything about data management, if we can figure out how to get a trial up and running in a week, that's all thanks to Medrio. So, yeah, kudos. Well, thank you. And a week is amazing, by the way, for those who don't know who are listening. Donna's team acted so quickly. I mean, in many cases, that takes you know six months, nine months, uh, and normal is is a few months. So you, your team was was impressive, and I think it comes from you and your passion, your obvious passion for this, and wanting to get past the barriers that we have and actually get things implemented. So it's it's it was it's been a pleasure working with you. Well, you know, I'm I'm someone who has a, a very I have no patience, you know, I um, <laughs> yes, and so I I know that. There's already been so much delay to when you look at the total timeline that, you know, cell therapy has had to, to take off. And so I've decided I'm not going to waste any more time and CRO after CRO telling you, you know, it cannot be done this way. It just has not been done this way. You cannot put a trial together this quickly. I've had enough people telling me no that I had to go find my own solution. And here you are. So, <laughs> yeah, without you. 
uh, it wouldn't have happened. But anyway, we took rheumatoid arthritis to clinic with 15 patients and FDA had said, okay, you can only give one infusion to these patients because you've not done this before. So you're gonna give one infusion and then we're gonna see what happens. And what we found that was very surprising to me um, was that even in a single infusion, we saw uh, a tremendous decrease in overall inflammation in these patients. That's, um, and one of the markers for that is C-reactive protein. Well, we saw that in early on in COVID cases, um, C-reactive protein was extremely high in patients. So initially we just thought, could our cells have an impact if it did on rheumatoid arthritis, why couldn't it have an impact on COVID-19? Now I'm the first to tell you, I have no idea if it is a, it's not a proven hypothesis because no one has actually tackled it yet, but I thought we, it is a, it's scientifically sound. It's a good question that we should try and get answered and we should move to clinic quickly. So we, um, we got together with FDA, we got, we got it knocked out and we got three trials approved in a, in about a month's time. Two wow. of them were for preventing COVID-19. So it's more giving it to healthy people so that we can better equip their immune systems to be able to fight off the virus or the symptoms due to the virus. We actually don't know which one it will be, but that's what we wanted to study. And the second, um, the third, the last protocol that we were looking at was for treatment of um, severe cases. Well, as you know, in clinical research, a lot of things have to go hand in hand. Uh, not only do you need all the right PIs and sites and everything up and running, but you also need the patients. And um, just given our area in Houston, we had a very hard time finding very sick patients um, for our third trial. So we actually started the first and second trial for the preventative use of cells. We did that uh, first. And Today is a very historical day because I'm proud to say that we just sent the box out for um, treatment of severe cases um, at, at the hospital. So the, these are the first uh, out of 100 patients that we'll be studying. But the Congratulations, Don. I didn't know that. So that's yeah. a, that is a big milestone. It's a big day. And, um, and, we'll, and the beauty of the treatment at the hospital is that we'll know very quickly. We'll be able to determine fairly quickly whether this is an effective treatment or not. And I think um, that information is desperately needed. Everyone needs that information. And so we are, we're really mm -hmm. trying to get that out quickly. And we're treating a lot of people. The all In the entire COVID program that we have, we're looking at 265 patients total. Um, so it's a uh, it's a large trials and we're trying to execute them quickly again so that we have some um, substantial data um, that we can put our hands around and say and determine whether this is a viable treatment. It's great stuff, Donna. And for those listening, could you explain to be sure everyone's on the same page and understanding what you're doing? Because it's like, wait a minute, you're treating rheumatoid arthritis, all of a sudden you're treating COVID-19. Right. My, my, my understanding and, 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 you know, clarify this for people, but my understanding is that for the most part, the virus itself doesn't actually kill people. What happens is that the immune system overreacts to the virus and it's actually your own immune system which ends up being the, the fatal uh, the cause. And it sounds to me from what you said that you're doing two things. First of all, you're sort of ramping up the immune system in the early stages so it can just fight off the virus and, and never have it be a big deal, but that also you're, you're addressing the inflammation that's caused by the immune system in later stages 
So you're kind of on two ends of it in, in helping to guide the immune system to, to tackle the virus. Is that an accurate description or how would, how would you describe it? Yeah, no, you got it. That's exactly what it is. And autoimmune diseases react the same way, whether you're talking about MS or rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis or whatever it is, it's the immune system. It's your own body reacting um, to the condition, right? So your body is trying to fight it off as it's doing this. It's like attacking itself for some reason. It's like a, if you picture a clock, it's like going counterclockwise. So you need something to like kind of kick it back into gear. Now, I can tell you firsthand, just from all the clinical experience that we've had, you know, it's not, stem cells aren't a, a cure for all. It's not like you get a dose of cells and somehow your immune system is just going to magically be okay. I envision these sorts of therapies as being repeatable therapies, just like any medication. You know, you need to take a medication until you fix the problem. This sort of therapy is the same thing. Um, so we have to, uh, take that approach when we're looking at things like the immune system, because obviously you've had the condition for a very long time. And in COVID patients, you know that a lot of patients that have coexisting like um, comorbidities, right? Those patients are at higher risk. That's because their bodies are fighting off a lot of different things, right? So we're really trying to, we'll learn um, better, like what exactly these cells are doing. And even if we can prove that this is highly effective, I don't think we will still have an exact mechanism of action. That in and of itself is a whole another topic. You know, how, how are we going to really be able to figure out what the mechanism of action is of these cells? When you're talking about, can you imagine having a drug target that can do like 10 different things? Imagine trying to prove why it worked it's like it's a it's a nightmare in and of itself so i i don't know what the exact um, mechanism will be for the patient for the covid 19 patients but i think we'll at least get a good understanding of their um, clinical efficacy which is huge and, and there's so many things happening now in the big picture of life sciences i think of things like microbiome I think of stem cells, I think of autoimmune, understanding the immune system better, which, which therefore can potentially treat a whole range of autoimmune diseases. There's just so many great things happening, but at the same time, there's so much urgency around COVID-19 now. How do we get, how do we get it done quickly? Not, not on a 10-year cycle, you know, but on a six-month cycle, how, how do we just accelerate things uh, dramatically, I think, is one of the challenges. And you've touched on a little bit of getting studies up and running for COVID-19. You said you had trouble getting severe patients uh, and others. What, what other challenges have you had in terms of the whole world wants you to move quickly? So what's holding you back from, from moving as fast as you want to move in terms of getting studies up and running? I mean, it's so many things, right? The, the traditional model of clinical, and I think all of our talking heads have talked about you know, the challenges of current, the way clinical trials are set up in the United States you know, the centralized models, um, you know, it's just not conducive to moving quickly. It's like the polar opposite. You know, you're dealing with hospital bureaucracy and, and labs and data management and validating your data management, like all of these things and steps you have to take. Yeah. So, you know, I think we haven't taken shortcuts in, in anything because it, you know, in order to make sure that your data is valid, you have to go through all these steps. But we've just really, I think we've learned over the the past few years in running enough trials that we have a good idea of what, of how we can um, shorten some timelines. And I think technology is a big factor to that. Leveraging 
um, technology, existing technology and um, getting partners, finding the right partners, like in our case with Medrio, like finding the right partners that are are in for the ride and going to move with you. And, you know, all of that is so critical to making this happen. It's a miracle. I'll just say it's a miracle that we were able to get everything off the ground. But yeah, the um, finding patients, I think that that has been the one of the largest uh, hurdles. And then central labs, that's been another whole nother challenge there too. All in all, I think um, technology is, has been the answer and the key for us um, moving quickly. And so, yeah. Well, I love it. And I, I, I love that there's people like you pushing on the envelope there because I, I, in my experience, see that there's lots of ways we can move quicker because exactly because there's a lot of barriers. Some of them are regulatory, some of them are bureaucracy, some of them are just willingness to, to move quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my hope is that COVID-19 will, you know, have faster movement that we actually have definitely seen. Regulatory bodies have been very flexible, for example, and then maybe that translates some into across our industry in the years to come. So that's, that's my hope. But let's, let's talk at a high level, but let's talk about your studies. And like, for example, can anyone join your study or do they have to have bank stem cells already? Do they have to some, some other prerequisites or if someone listening to this wants to be part of what you're doing, either these specific COVID studies or other studies, uh, can they be a part of it? Right now, the three the three studies we have for COVID and the other studies that we have, uh, one of them requires cells to be banked in advance um, because it's available. It's an autologous stem cell product. And originally, when I started this company, I was very focused on autologous therapies because I had this vision that one day everybody every single person on this planet will have their stem cells banked somewhere. And when they have a condition that needs to be treated, they call up their bank and they get their cells. I mean, it as um, crazy as that sounds, I, d- I don't think we're far from that. In order for that to happen though, people have to have their cells banked. So uh, in the first COVID study we had, we targeted um, autologous use. So if you've had your cells banked, you can um, be a part of this uh, initial prevention trial. The second trial um, really kind of broke down my uh, overall idea <laughs> that I had from the beginning, which was using autologous cells. I had to think of a different solution for our frontline healthcare workers because frontline healthcare workers, paramedics, um, your first responders, from what we saw happening in other countries, we knew that they um, there was about a 20% transmission rate for these um, for these workers. And as we were seeing this virus coming onto our shores, we just thought, well, if the if the surge is going to be what it is, then we can't afford the US certainly can't afford uh, our workers, our frontline workers being in that same situation. So I really wanted to have a solution for them. But None of Hold them have second, their Donna, cells Did banked. you say 20%? 20% of yeah. those workers were, were, were getting COVID-19 yep, if they were that working is correct. patients. Wow. Yeah, and That's even in the hospital that we delivered cells to today, I think several of the participants are the nurses that were actually serving those patients. So it's happening, right? The, our, our frontline healthcare workers are at most risk. Irregardless of all this PPE and everything, they are being exposed to it constantly. Um, and so wow. we needed a solution for them. I mean, it's just unacceptable, right? So we need a solution for them, but how do you do this if they don't have their cells banked? So that's when I took the allogeneic approach. And I've done that one time before, but 
it's uh, allogeneic means using a donor source. So we're going to use donor stem cells and we do a whole gamut of testing to make sure they're clear and often we can, we can use them for production of the therapy, but we use a donor cell source and um, yeah, we're able to sort of uh, immunize. I, I hate using the word immunize because it's not really that, but we're giving the stem cells in advance um, to help to hopefully you know, increase their immune systems to help them be able to fight off this virus. So that's what we're doing with that. That's a hundred frontline workers. Um, and right now it's available to anyone in Houston. So if you are listening and you are in Houston, please give us a call. We'd be um, honored to serve you. And uh, the third trial, of course, is for patients. And obviously the patients we are serving are not people who have their cells banked. So same thing, we are giving allogeneic cells four days apart, I mean, three days apart, four doses, three days apart. Um, and we will hopefully be able to attenuate the inflammation that all of them are experiencing and hopefully get them out of the hospital. That's the goal. That is an inspiring goal. I'm going to sleep more soundly tonight knowing that you've got this study underway. Let's pivot a little bit to other therapeutic areas. So obviously COVID-19 is a big deal, coronavirus, other viruses, um, communicable diseases, but but you work in, in other areas as well. So where, what, does, what is Hope Biosciences doing and what in general do you see uh, stem cells doing in other therapeutic areas? So we do a lot. I started the company really focused on, on neurological conditions because I think those are really needing a viable solution. Right now we are in clinic for rheumatoid arthritis, uh, cerebral palsy, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, traumatic brain injury, uh, spinal cord injury, and COVID and ALS. I just got approval for ALS. Uh, and so we're looking at a whole lot, a whole bunch of different kind of indications. And, but it really has to do with, again, the, the different functions of the cells. So the way we, the way we are thinking how these cells work for these different diseases are different from disease to disease. So there, there are different mechanisms behind them. And, but overall, I think, the diseases that I'm probably most excited about are are ones like Alzheimer's, where I know that the impact is so great. Um, and every single person, pretty much every single person is going to be affected by Alzheimer's directly or indirectly. And if it's indirectly, it means that, you know, you are unknowingly by your tax dollars that you put in are going to are going to be taking care of Alzheimer's people. And that that's just the way it's going to be. We're going to have a with our baby boomer population getting into sort of the season of life they are, we're going to start seeing um, very high numbers of Alzheimer's. And we really need something to stop this. Uh, and I am uh, really passionate about trying to come up with a solution for this. And as you know, a lot of drug companies have try to attack Alzheimer's, but they're doing it sort of in a symptomatic, they're looking at the symptoms. So if like, like memory loss, if you're really targeting just that, you know, I can tell you for a disease like Alzheimer's where you're degenerating at such a rapid pace, your brain is essentially just falling apart. You need a way to, the only way we're going to fix diseases like this is a regenerative solution. And so we are in, we are really excited at the at the potential for this uh, this sort of therapy, and we're going to push the envelope when it comes to how many treatments are we going to need to be able to fix these sorts of diseases. And I think 
the answer to a lot of these things are going to be very long-term. They're not like defined, like take your Z-Pack for a week and you're going to see this result. It's not going to be like that. It's just going to be an ongoing therapy that will, you know, if you're in the early stages, will help you not progress. And if you're in later stages, hopefully be able to um, regenerate you, but it's going to be a long-term thing. Yeah. Well, I, I love that perspective. And I think that what's been happening in life sciences in general is these kind of major breakthroughs like that, that have been pretty quiet. Just as an example, here we are dealing with coronaviruses, but you know, in the 90s, uh, I'm dating myself here, but in the 90s and the HIV academic, uh, pen, you know, epidemic came along, many people viewed it was impossible to develop a drug for a virus. Uh, and there was, but there was enormous effort put in and major breakthroughs made and discovered things like, yeah, it's not a single drug that just is going to eliminate HIV, but with a cocktail of drugs that, you know, one drug works for three months and holding back the virus. But if you do two drugs, it doesn't go to six months, it goes to nine months. And if you mm. do, you know, four drugs, then it goes to the rest of your life. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so there's sort of new perspectives, the fact that you can develop a drug for a virus and that you can do combinations of drugs. Those are, that's brand new thinking that, that, that developed very, very rapidly in the life sciences realm and has had a huge impact. So that just struck me as something similar to what you're talking about as a different mindset of it's not going to be I take a pill and my Alzheimer's goes away. Uh, maybe it's an ongoing treatment that allows for steady regeneration and tackles uh, CNS, which has been such a difficult area. Mm -hmm. We've seen so much progress in other other areas in oncology, rapidly getting rid of uh, entire suites of childhood cancers and other other cancers. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just inspiring to hear that you're tackling COVID-19, you're tackling CNS, maybe the hardest area that remains in terms of uh, diseases that we're treating. And I'm curious, so uh, what you see happening in the future, if that's where we are now, you know, in five years, 10 years from now, we get another podcast, uh, you know, what, what's the stem cell world going to look like? Yeah, I, I really hope that the discussion can move towards um, prevention. That's where we really need to be. If you look at the entire disease life cycle, even where we are right now with COVID, like we're dealing with the tail end, right? It's after you're symptomatic, you're in the hospital, you're perhaps on a ventilator, like that's what we're dealing with. And it's just not an effective way to treat any disease because uh, it's a lot easier to prevent something than it is to treat something. But it's really hard to change that mindset because everything we know about medicine has been pretty much with treating um, what's bothering you, right? That's, that's after all, that's when you go to the doctor, when your condition finally does something to bother you enough to go there. We have to change this. And I hope that in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see a steady uh, sort of movement towards preventing these sorts of conditions uh, because the outcome can be really great. It may turn out that I am ineffective at treating late stage Alzheimer's, but it might show that while well, in early stage, it does really well. Well, then it begs the question, well, how long has Alzheimer's really been manifesting? Um, if you're talking about early Alzheimer's, like right now, we're talking about maybe one or two years after you've been diagnosed, but really how long has a disease been manifesting in your body? Probably 20 right. years before that. So this idea of prevention is not even like preventing a disease. It's just treating it way early before you ever noticed it and before any diagnostic tool could notice it. Okay. And so that's sort of, um, you know, it's my challenge to figure out how we're going to prove that. 
I have a hard enough time pr- proving how this works in a treatment uh, model. So I don't know how to do that, but I'm in it for the long run. And uh, my entire team here is really dedicated and devoted to, you know, cell therapy and seeing this used on a, on a very wide scale, because in order for this to be widely used, you know, insurance companies have to adopt it. We need an approved therapy. Uh, and I think that's when it will, cell therapy will be able to open up and even open up to the global stage. Wow. Well, for all those listening, I hope you're like me. You're going to sleep a little easier tonight knowing that, uh, <laughs> that Donna Chang, founder and CEO of Hope Biosciences, is on the case of COVID-19 and, and also on the case of, of the long-term uh, illnesses that are afflicting so many people and, 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 and feel inspired because I know that I am, that this, the science is, is solid, the science is, is evolving rapidly, and, and, and Don and others are, are, are bringing it to the actual clinic, getting it to a place where it can be effective in, in, in helping so many people around the world. So uh, Donna, thanks for joining today. It's really fantastic to talk to you. It's inspiring um, and, and uh, you know, I'll do everything I can to help with your work. And I know that literally billions of people around the world are, are, are relying on you to continue the important work and as fast as you can. And uh, I know you're working hard every day. I've seen it. I've seen your team doing it. And, uh, and so just thank you so much for coming today and for everything that you're doing for the world. And thank you guys. Thank you for everything. Um, if you all are interested in the work that we're doing, especially for COVID, uh, you can visit our foundation. We have a Stem Cell Research Foundation webpage. It's uh, hopebio.org. And if you go there, you'll see uh, our wonderful partners like Medrio participating in our efforts um, against COVID. And you can follow all, on all the exciting research that we're doing. Fantastic, Donna. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Mike.